Welcome to Vino Week, episode 10, brought to you by Vino 101. Welcome to Vino Week, I'm Bill. Hello, and I'm Al. Um, should we just continue on, Bill, talking about the valise? Yeah, sure. Let's do uh, it. On the uh, drink business. Or actually, we should talk about, uh, we got something going on this weekend, right? Yeah, so uh, West of the West Wine Festival, um, which I think started last night. Um, yeah. With an event. Um, but today and tomorrow, there are two grand tastings. And I also believe they have a couple culinary events the next two days. But if you're a Russian River wine fan, this is a show for you. Um, at least by saying that based on the wineries that are there. Um, we're, we get the privilege of getting to go tomorrow to the tasting. So we'll do a report on that um, as soon as we can get it done. Yeah, I'm really surprised that we haven't attended this since it's in our own backyard. It's almost like that when I was, when I, I grew up in Florida, and whenever people would come to visit us, the first thing they'd say is, you know, we need to make our plans to go to Disney World, and we'd always go, oh, yeah. Disney World. So last place we want to go, and uh, you know, it's kind of, it, it's not that, but it's just interesting when you have something that's so dynamic and where you have the opportunity to taste and be around the people, actually the people that are making a product and, are, and just intimately involved in the industry and you don't take uh, you don't take advantage of it. And uh, I'm not really sure how or why that's happened. <laughs> Maybe it's just the time of year. Yeah, it's a, probably likely timing. I mean, it is, you know, it's sort of like, you know, we're weeks away from school starting and, you know, it's a yeah. time where people are trying to get their sort of last minute vacations in too. Well, maybe that's maybe that's what it is. Well, let's skip. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to it for sure. Yeah, me too. And uh, definitely the culinary stuff. I mean, it's right there in the Barlow, which is you know it's culinary central or becoming that anyway for um, the West County area. So that'll be uh, that'll be pretty nice. True. True. Hey, uh, let's let's skip ahead to something that's really really super important for us Californians. I don't know if you saw this link or not, but the fire in Lake County is expanding. Like it's it's just Lake County is on fire. Yeah, I I mean literally, I jumped the fire line right. I think the um, and that's the uh, oh, shoot. I can't remember the name of the fire. It's um, called the uh, the heck is it called? It's called the Rocky Fire. And it's uh, I I read last night that it was twenty eight square miles. Yeah, it's some really crazy. They say it's uh, just just recently, as of seven thirty here, just just like an hour ago, it's uh, expanded to twenty two thousand five hundred acres. Yeah. That's a lot of, and and they really don't have it. Yeah, it's five percent contained. All. It's five percent contained. That's not cont- I wouldn't even use the word contained with that yeah, number. Yeah, it's it's just burning uh-huh. wild. Now the only thing that's good for us. Is is that it's cooled down? Um, shoot, what three or four days ago it was in the hundreds. Yeah, it was in Lake County. It in uh, Lake County's yeah, and I think we've talked about this before on Avena Week about its uh, geology. It's it's a very diverse in terms of some of the terrain that it has, but it does have this like volcanic soil. So um, there are places where it just gets baking hot over there. Um, and with the drought, it, it, like that whole 
It's just like a rim by the lake, so that whole thing is probably just going to go up. And then there's national, it's surrounded by, like, you know, state national forests, you know, parkland. And, and, and well, go ahead. No, I'm just saying, I mean, it's just like one giant, you know, set of kindling. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I, and it's, it's, there's not, you know, I mean, the major, the major commerce up there or is becoming major commerce is there's lots of grapes up there yeah so which yeah. brings up another thing i mean nobody's really talked about it but at some point we're going to have this uh issue of vineyards that might be nearby that are going to be tainted with smoke and uh you know the grapes hold on to that smoke it gets under the skin and when you process the wine you don't immediately notice it when you're processing it but you know Part of um, as the wine is being aged and before it's getting ready to be put into bottle, it's when that flavor comes out, which makes a lot of business for companies that are in the business of getting rid of that smoke taint. So, yeah, yeah. you know, somebody's ah, somebody's always making a buck. Yeah, so that's uh, but yes, it's, it's 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 a new thing, and it actually drives the cost of the product up. Because it actually has to be, you know, put on a truck and tanked to a, a place where it can actually be, you know, that can be removed. And, you know, whenever you remove something from a wine, i.e., whatever you want to call it, filtering or whatever, you're you're actually taking away. Sometimes you take more away. Other things get taken away in the process of removing that taint. So it definitely compromises the product, I think. Yeah, so, I, I, yeah for sure. So it, I so mean, it's, it's just not a – it. the whole thing's just – it's it's rough, but I mean, they've got some mandatory evacuations going on right now. Which is when they tell you to come, when they come to your house and they say you have to leave now, that's got to be a really scary experience. I can, I just can't even imagine. You've got to you know just get you have to leave in in fifteen minutes. I mean I, I can't even imagine somebody telling me that, but I mean you do it. But man, talk about traumatic. I ha- I would have to agree that it's just. Uh, it's rough. So uh, not to start on a bummer, but that's a big thing. It's dry out here. You know, we're in our third year of a really dr- uh, of a drought. It's a severe drought, and um, we're trying to put out a pretty gnarly fire. And there's that's not the only fire. There's there's fires all over the state. You know, so we're we're on fire out here, and it's kind of this isn't anything that's new. I remember when I first moved out here, and I was driving up the coast, and I had just you know, being a Floridian and not knowing any better, on my way over, I stopped at all the local spots in New Mexico, Texas, and I I was armed with fireworks. <laughs> like oh. you would leave. And I get out here and we're driving up the coast from LA and I'm looking in the hillsides at night and everything there's just fire everywhere. It's like I can't use these fireworks. Yeah. One of yeah. those things. So um hopefully we can get some rain. You do a rain dance. Or well, you know, so there's plenty of uh, hype happening around, um, El, you know, supposed El Nino this year. Yeah. yeah. But I heard on NPR yesterday on my way home that one of the um, supposedly foremost uh, climatologists who specializes in El Nino is an El, El Nino expert. He says that it's actually pretty elusive. That it doesn't necessarily, just because of the, the conditions are shaping up that you know it will bring a lot of rain but it uh you know let's hope it does 
Yeah, we're we're definitely due. <clears throat> so on to a lighter subject. Did you you saw the uh, you saw the valise, right? Yes, I did. <laughs> so it's called the Vanguard valise. And I thought of you. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Well, I, and well, I and, and for well, it's like one of as I was saying, it's like one of those things where I'm like. Uh, Al would probably get a lot of use out of that, and I'm like, oh, maybe that's, uh, maybe you know, maybe maybe not. But it for those people that have to travel or want to travel with their wine, I mean, it's not, it's not ridiculously expensive. Well, the only the only thing for me that is a little bit of a drawback when I do travel, and you know, I have been kind of traveling frequently lately. When I do travel, I really like the idea of just stuffing everything in my little bag where I can just take it on the plane because I, I hate the idea of having to go down to the carousel, wait for it to pop out. So, I'm, you know, I'm a carry-on guy. But, you know, I guess I could make an exception because, you know, you can't take liquids on board. So I, this would have to go in the, in the belly of the plane. But, man, what a fantastic case. It's called the Ven Guard Valise. And uh, it's uh, it rolls, which is kind of cool. It's got the uh, a hard shell suitcase, and then it's got the foam to protect each bottle. You can find this article in the uh, drinks business. It's by Lucy Shaw. And uh, you don't have to fill it all with wine. You can stick your other stuff in there, your, you know, your loafers and your, your pants and your shirts, and just use half of it. But it's really, really cool. And I'm a little bit bummed. It looks like it's only going to be available in the U.K. initially. I was yeah, doing. I'm sure you're. And it's only, I mean, it's 150 pounds, which is uh, probably a little over $200 probably. Yeah, um, probably around somewhere between oh, 200 250. Um, uh, yeah, I mean it's unfortunate you can't you can't I, and, and it looks kind of like a roller bag, right? I mean it, yes. it it looks like you could roll it onto the airplane, but you know our crazy I'm trying to come up with some words and aren't gonna <laughs> get me on a no fly list somewhere. Careful, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What do you mean I'm on? What do you mean I'm on a no-fly list? Um, so it, it just seems like it makes a lot of sense, but yeah, it would probably have to get stuffed into the belly of the aircraft, unfortunately. And I, I love the idea that you could buy uh, foam inserts uh, for Magnums because you know that's <laughs> yeah. that's cool. Yeah, when when you're going to a party. <laughs> Well, I mean, we're kind of laughing, but there are times where you do want to take, you know, you're going to Thanksgiving and you got a, you know, you got a nice bottle of wine you want to take as sort of your contribution. Like that makes perfect sense, right? Yeah, Magnum's the only way to go. Right. I mean, it's it's pretty easy, you know. Um, we were we were talking earlier about uh, our big. Uh, you had a really hard uh, week or a stressful week, and I didn't have a stressful week, but I did have a long week. And when I got home. Or before I got home, I said, "Honey, I'm cooking tonight," and uh, I called her up and uh, we were talking. And I said, uh, "Well, I'm ordering pizza. Which place do you want your pizza from?" <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So we got home, and you know, I I had it been such a long day. I'd really missed lunch, and really all I'd done is just kind of nibble on fruit all day, in and out of office buildings. And um, we sat down. We had a salad, the pizza. Opened up a bottle of, uh, what did we open up? We opened up a bottle of Valpolicella, and I had a couple of bottles of Suave that we that were just left over from the week. And I think we almost polished off, just between the two of us, that bottle of Valpolicella. And it just shows you how easily 
you know, I mean, you know, it's just the two of us. I mean, we polish that bottle off pretty easily. And so a Magnum makes good sense if you're going to a party because yeah. you take a bottle and it's just it's gone really quickly if you have four or five people there. It's true. It's very true. So uh, what else did you see that's interesting? I guess we should uh, uh, stick along with the wine as far as uh, uh, interesting things with wine. Did you see the article in Sploid? Yeah, the, the uh, is that the... It's called tonguing, I think, is the, new, is the new term for it. But if you have an old bottle oh, of, uh, of, if you've got an older bottle, typically the corks are kind of fragile. So right. So especially with uh, some things along that line. So um, they're talking about, uh, they're just showing you how you can open a bottle without using a corkscrew. And in a lot of your finer um, high-end restaurants, if, you, if you're drinking an, an older bottle, instead of trying to fish that cork out that just might just be stuck in that bottle especially if the cork's been in there for 20 plus years what they do is they've got a, a device that uh, they actually heat up and you stick it around the side of the bottle um, it uh, basically heats up that neck and then you uh, dust it with a, a really really cool uh, uh, looks like almost like a barber's uh, like a bar, like a shaving, uh, like a little shaving, shaving brush, brush, yeah. Yep. And that action of the hot and the cool, you know, it breaks that, it, it breaks it right at that point. Yeah, I have, I have seen this, and um, I, I thought I had seen this uh, quite a while ago, um, and it might have been the same person. It's sort of this really interesting wine presentation, you know, a way to do an interesting wine presentation. Yeah, it's it's very very classy, and then they put a a, a nice sleeve in it, and um, you know it's it's uh, it is, it's, it's a very clever uh, sort of way to do it. Yeah, and it definitely. Uh, I mean, if you're waiting, if you're a waiter at a table, it's a little bit more work. I guess when you have it all set up, it's it's not that big of a deal, but it's certainly better than um, having the embarrassment of the cork, <laughs> half of it coming out with the corkscrew, and the other yeah, half yeah. still in there. Oh yeah. So, um, but you should check that out. We'll. we'll put a link to it and uh it's just a clever way to open a wine bottle um without using a corkscrew very cool very cool so um, where should we go from here i you know one of the things i found uh I, I was before we were um before we linked up i was just reading about uh there's an article that came out in uh, wines and vines right at about the uh uh trinchero yeah or trinchero yeah. i'm not exactly yeah. sure. i don't know how to i don't know how to say it either but um yeah, this is sort. Of, I mean, we talked about. I, I mean, we sort of in the last two um, episodes, we've been talking uh, about big wine. I'm just going to say big wine. Yeah. Um, and so this is sort of a continuation of that conversation. So they're celebrating their 40th anniversary um, of their inaugural <laughs> release of White Zen. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's been. I mean, that long. 1975. Yeah. <laughs> really. Yeah. Well, I, you know, yeah, and it's still, I mean, I, um, you know, that, so first of all, the dollar amount, you know, 40, the article titles 40 years and $6 billion of whites in. Yeah, that's $6 billion, folks. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a, a lot of whites in, Pindell. That's a lot of white, a lot of whites in, Pindell. And they have a picture of their, uh, their processing facility in Lodi, and uh, wow, it's, uh, it's large. Yeah, that's brand new. They're getting ready to open it up. It's a brand new facility. It can process 100,000 tons of grapes. That's crazy. That's, 
that is crazy that is pretty amazing so uh you know they started out they started out with that winery if you look through the article it's interesting they they bought it back in the i I think like in the 40s or something um at 48 to be exact two brothers bought it and uh you know they were just kind of loping along and they actually uh you know talk about catching lightning in a bottle they were processing some zinfandel and uh they were trying to make uh I'm not sure what they're doing. I guess it got stuck. It ended up stuck fermentation or something. And um, they said, well, what the heck are we going to do with this? And said, what the hell? We're going to bottle it, you know? <laughs> we've gone through all the, all the, we've grown it and we've pressed it. And shoot, we'll just, we'll just see what happens. And it caught on like wildfire. It really did. And, you know, it's funny because, I mean, we kind of, there a lot of people kind of snicker um, about White's Infidel. Uh, I, you know, I don't have any proof of this, but I, you know, it's somewhat a gateway wine for folks. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm trying to think of when's the last time I actually saw White Zinfandel sold somewhere, and I don't think I go to the places where they sell it. Yeah. I'm sure if we went down to Safeway, there's Sutter Home White's in. Yeah. Probably in Magnum bottles. Well, the company's number five on the list yeah. of the top 30 wine, wine producers, and, so. you know, they're ahead of... Um, you know they're they're just behind um, two buck chuck Bronco wine, which right. gives you an idea how big they are. And it it um, you know you remember Bartle and James wine coolers, right? Wasn't that yep. that that's I don't know if it was the Chinchero folks or if it was Gallo who you know did that. Uh, that stuff. was a Gallo product, I believe. That's yeah. what I that's what I thought. Um, but it was um, you know a, a lot of people sort of. You know, dip their toe into the wine world with whites in, and I'm not saying everybody sort of made that transition, but you know, I, I think it's things like these. It's like, well, that's good. Uh, let me try some other kind of wine. Um, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I I've obviously I've tried the Southern uh, White Zinfandel. I mean, it's okay. It's you know, um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's it's yeah, it's just big bulk. I mean, it's bulk, in my mind, it's bulk wine. It's blush wine. It's yeah. it's slightly blush sweet, milk. you know, and it's not all Zinfandel, but it is responsible for us having all of our uh, wonderful Zinfandel vines that we still have because you know there was a way for them to deal with it because people weren't buying the red. Right. So I just thought that's interesting, and the visual of that new facility. <laughs> it's, it, it kind of it kind of looks like missile silos. Yeah, it's it's worth this is it. Crazy. For, for, for our our listeners, it's worth it just to go on to click on the link and yeah. just look at that, and then you go, okay, well, wine is a commodity. Oh yeah, <laughs> it would be interesting. I wonder if they give tours. It'd be an interesting thing to go tour that place at some juncture. Yeah, I think you'd, to, probably, you'd probably have to be in the business <laughs> just to see the. I mean, it's ah, it's so big, so, huge, uh, crazy so, stuff. Uh, congratulations to them and uh, you know they've obviously they've helped a lot of people like you say get into wine you know by their releases that they have and a lot of people buy their wines today I mean um, one of their most popular wines right now is the Menage a Trois um, it's like a dark red blend yeah have you had that before yeah I have yeah yeah so I, I mean, have and it's a, it's a pretty it's a pretty decent bottle and that they sell it is, it. It is. I mean it's, it's you know, they're definitely something you pick up and respectable. Yeah. Um, and they have what? They have thirty-five brands. Yeah. So some, uh, you know, I mean, they have a lot of a lot of brands that I wouldn't even recognize. Thirty-five they, California wine brands. Wow. And they're sold in fifteen nations. 
Yeah, that's... Uh, so, I mean, they have a pretty big, you know, pretty big footprint. So that's that's good. Uh, that's... I'm pretty uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited that people are getting to try different wines. And it's amazing when you go to a store, though, you don't realize with all those brands out there that there's just like a few, few key players that are actually producing all of those brands. And that's what I find very interesting. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think we should be, we should be, um, so I don't, you know, again, I, you know, I think the suspicion is for me is that, you know, these big, you know, companies like, uh, Trineros and you know Gallo and and uh, you know Constellation and Bronco, yeah, yeah, it's a big company that owns all of these brands. But when it gets down to the, you know the the, you know especially in the their higher end labels, <clears throat> you know the winemakers and the guys that are actually making the you know the people that are actually making the wine probably have a fair amount of freedom to kind of do their production and you know the corporation's really there to ensure that their wine gets distribution yep i mean it's i mean at the end of the day that's what that's why the consolidation's happening i mean it's classic economic theory um it's just a limited amount of shelf space and more money i have to sort of put in um to the distribution channel and can can try to control that channel you know the more wine i'm going to move because it as we were talking about it's all coming down to shelf space yeah yeah, and it's uh, it's no easy feat getting on the shelf and where you're placed on the shelf. Yep, and then you know that whole thing, that whole shelf space deal is like you know I'm not gonna sell a bottle of you know thirty dollar thirty dollar plus wine in a Safeway. Um, it's just like that's rare, I think. So you know you're looking at probably twenty five and under. Um, I don't know. I, I I just think the mix there is probably much more on the. Um, lower side of the price points. Yeah, I don't know what the sweet spot is, you know, and I really should go into a store and, and look, you know, I'm, I usually, I, I should just check it out because it is, I, I think I mentioned this in our last uh, show, it's it's mind-boggling. And the wine's not just in the wine section, it's everywhere. You know, you're in the you're in the meat department and then there's bottles lying next to the meat truck stage. <laughs> right. yeah, you, you know, know what I mean? <laughs> it, it's really that's They're just highly saturated. Yeah, that's just a retailer. <laughs> that's just good retailing. Oh, I need wine, right? Oh, it's right here. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, this uh, dovetails dove tells well with the other article um, around uh, traditional wine retailers dying. Yeah, yeah. I I don't. Uh, you know, I read that article a while back, and I'm not it. It's interesting how they, they put it out. Okay, they say traditional wine retailing is dying, but wine retailing in general is not dying. So it's kind of a little bit of a, you know, six in one hand, six in the other type of thing. And I guess they're touting and they're talking about hybrid wine shops. And these are wine shops that sell not only wine, but they're selling beer and they're selling books. And the whole idea of going to going into the shop, it's more of an experience. It's not like you're just going in there to buy wine. You're going in to learn about wine. Right. It, it's very, you know, so the, you know, the model here is Starbucks, right? They took um, coffee and sort of turned it into an experience um, when you go into a, you know, Starbucks store, right? Yes. That's I mean, good. That's a good point. Yeah, that's true. That's exactly what it is. That's what they're doing. I mean, it's you know, you go into many Starbucks during the work week in the United States, and it's it's people's office. Um, you know, they're in there. Yeah, they're in there. You know, drinking coffee and eating and meeting and 
you know, the whole kind of, you know, the whole, you know, kit and caboodle. And Starbucks is constantly, if you, if you, if you look like Starbucks is experimenting all the time, you know, they're doing things like trying to put these machine, these clover machines, so you can have sort of drip coffee that's higher end. Mm-hmm. They've got all kinds of stuff to purchase in there. They have tea, they have food. Um, so this is just about, I, you know, I think retailing, this is just about retailers sort of adjusting to the market. Yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting thing because, you know, we have here, I don't know if you got the message or, or if you got the email or not, but I did get an email from our friend that's in the wine retail business here in town. I did. Okay. And he has a shop or he's at it for years that really is this type of shop. It's really an experience. It is. There. It because is. You, have, you have the art, you have uh, the opportunity to, the way he has it set up, you have the opportunity to learn yeah. a lot about wine or if you just want to pop in and pick up a nice bottle you can do that too so it's a nice blend that he has and it's interesting that he's uh you know this he's decided for different reasons to move on and do something else in his life but i i do find it kind of interesting that it it seems like uh it's been a little bit of a challenge for him to pass that shop on to somebody else yeah i you know i just think that's uh you know retailing and so, you know, I think one thing is, is the lifestyle, you know, that, that business is a lifestyle business, right? So you definitely have to find the right, um, the right buyer and that can just take time. Yeah. Um, but that it, it, you know, to more to your point, that, that shop is definitely set up to capitalize on what this article is talking about, where it's not about going to grab a bottle of wine. It's about going to have an experience around buying a bottle of wine. Yep, and you can certainly, you know, you can certainly do that. Um, you can certainly do that in that shop. So, I've had that experience myself in that shop. So, it, uh, yeah, you know, good stuff. But it's, you know, retail. Retail's always hard. Yeah, it's a, it's a labor of love. I mean, you're, you know, you're fight, you're, you're always fighting somebody, right? You're fighting to get customers in the door. You're, you know, you're doing your sales, so that's, you know, that's always, you know, pounding it out. And then, you know, you've got a retail component, and, you know, trying to keep customers sat or uh, uh, the retail component in terms of trying to keep your uh, shelves stocked. Yeah. You know, so you got to fight for allocation. Um, and then you're in a, you know, in, in the case of the wine shop. Here you're in the wine area, so you got to compete with all the other tasting rooms. Yeah, I, I suppose. I mean, I think it. I, I, I just it'll be interesting to see what happens because it'd be it's amazing to me that in this this town. I mean, it's not a big town, but it'd be amazing that there would no longer be a wine shop. I just thought about this <laughs> this morning. I was like, wow, that's that's pretty interesting that there would only be tasting rooms because you know when you go into a tasting room, you know you're you're a captive audience for that particular brand, whatever it is, right. Versus going to you know a retailer. I mean, you have a, a you know unlimited selection, literally. If you're if you want to ask them to bring something in for you, so uh, I don't know. It's, I, I have a, a mixed thoughts on it, but uh, I wish him the best because he's a good guy and I, you know he's going to pursue his other dream, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and I agree. I think it would be uh, um, it would be horrible if there was not uh, a retailer here. <laughs> But in, and I think there's plenty of room for a retailer here. Yeah, yeah, there's room for even maybe a couple retailers. Yep. So it'll it'll happen. Yep. Um, 
ahead. We we've kind of uh, and this is we're we're taking a on this on this story anyway. We're we're moving in a different direction, but it seems like there's always somebody out there trying to rip people off. So, focus. <laughs> um. We'll just go ahead and talk about old Spiros uh, Costaninos. Yeah. Well, the, so the first thing, so the first thing that caught my eye was the fact that that is a Greek name. <laughs> I don't know, man. You don't think uh, so? I, I guess so. I don't want to say. I'm just. I'm. I, I think Constantinos. I'm pretty sure that's Greek. Yeah, it seems. It seems like it may be of Greek origin. I, I, that's that's what I'm saying. And <laughs> and um, but he's from the UK. Yes, the Earl's Court is definitely in London, but uh, yeah, uh, former trader. I mean, this is you know we're just checking blocks here. <laughs> we really are. Check Greek. Check you know trader, and and we come right down to fraud eventually. Um, and uh-huh. I'm not trying to make a correlation between anything. I'm just pointing out some things I see. Um, but yeah, it looks like he was he was had some scam around. Uh, <laughs> And I like how the article says crates of non-existent Bordeaux. <laughs> crates. Well, the whole thing. What what goes to me is what I see, and it's just like a a red flag, promising huge return. Yeah, I just so I, I people. Is there a common theme here. People. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. And why? Uh, and so this, all, and you know, so I can hear my dad. Oh, nothing, nothing better than a fool parting with his money. Yeah, I, I mean, know. seriously, you're talking to somebody who's going to sell you crates of wine that are you're going to make a ton of money on. Like who? Who does that? Yeah, it's just not. I just, it's just like the I just, pie in the sky thing is. It's just never going to happen, folks. Yeah. But on wine. Like I mean, I, I, like if you're telling me like you know, hey, here's this like company that's producing some kind of technology product. All right, I could fall into that trap. But wine, really? Yeah, this guy is really a small fish, and it looks like they're making an example of him. But I mean, I mean, he's they gave him eight years. I, but I, I mean, it's just like ouch. So. I, you know, I mean, I know he was convicted of ten offenses, and, and it was all relating to fraud. But it, and it's it seems like he really a ripped million, off somebody that was well yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, it's and you know, he's well, paying for it big yeah. time. Million six. Yeah. So um, he's, uh, I mean, he spent. He didn't. It was a total, It was a, yeah. a total scam. The whole thing. He did. He spent all the money that he got on shopping sprees. Uh, Paying for private schools, uh, lavish family holidays. Uh, he just—I mean, he didn't—he had no intention of making good on the, his promises. So maybe that's why they went down so hard on him. Likely, probably could be a combination of all of that, but it—it's—it <laughs> definitely—it's uh, just, you know, on one hand, it's like you know, you kind of get what you deserve, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's been doing it for a while, man. Well, I mean, and that's the other thing. I mean, he's been in trouble before. Yeah. So, I mean, and it's that seems to be the common theme with all of these guys. They get they get nabbed before, and then they get a tap on the wrist, and then they just turn around and and set it up and do it again. Yeah. And uh, you know, I guess it's the second time around type of thing for him. But um, he's uh, he's done. Yeah. <laughs> so, he's. He's gonna go be the guest of, guest of the queen somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So what else we got? Uh, um, so 
There's a there's a good article in, in, in Business Insider about how to plan a trip to wine country, which is I think a really great. Um, <clears throat> if you're coming, it's good advice. Let me just say it that way. I really think that you know, like reading this and you know the the gist of this whole thing is like have a plan. Yes. If you exactly. come up here, which is you know okay, that's. That's obvious, but I, you know, I talk to a lot of people who, oh, I'm going to go to wine country for the weekend. In fact, I was just having this conversation with somebody at work the other day. Ah, we're coming up to, you know, Russian River. I'm like, you going wine tasting? They're like, yeah. I'm like, where are you going to go? No plan. <laughs> and and that's I, that's not good. Well, I. So what's going to happen is, is they're going to like drive out. They're going to see like Corbell. They'll go to Corbell. But my my just the convers the riff here is I'm gonna come back on Monday or Tuesday when they come back. I'm gonna how was it? And they're like uh, it's okay, and they're gonna because they don't have a plan. Yeah. And and that's really because um, I started talking to this person. And they're like, well, I really like Zinfandel, and I started naming all these Zinfandel producers. Um, they knew Lodi Zinfandel producers like M2H and and Clinker Brick and. So like they knew Zen, but they hadn't heard of Ridge and hadn't heard of Acorn and Carol Sheldon. So it's sort of an example. I'm like, well, there's you know, and there are other, and I'm I'm not saying that those are the you know, uh, recommending, but I'm just started to you know a few that I knew off the top of my head. Sure. And he was like, where are they? And I'm like, well, they're all within probably ten to fifteen to twenty minutes of where you're staying. And I'm like, you know, get an Uber and go over there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this provides a nice little template um, and it has some really good tips. One of the ones I like a, uh, a lot on here is like pack a picnic. Yep. One of the great things to do, because it's, so first of all, all of these, most of the wineries that have tasting rooms, they spend a, a fair amount of money making that tasting room really nice and having a nice experience that includes the grounds they typically have gardens they have picnic tables they want you to come get a bottle of wine and sit and eat there and have a picnic so it's really and it can be really idyllic i mean you know really get the sort of full experience so i thought this is a really great article yeah i agree it's a and it's really you hit on the, the key point is is planned because if you if you if you fail to plan then you really plan to fail is is basically what yeah and you're just gonna have an okay time i mean that's just the and you'll end up at you'll probably end up somewhere that has a fairly large marketing budget that you know can get the word out to bring people in is that the best place to go well it may not be for what you want to try and so a little bit of research goes a long way and a you know sitting down and spending you know a, an hour kind of thinking through where you want to go and i'm not saying you have to you know i mean there are people who want you know from you know 12 to 1 we'll be here we'll drive for a half an hour like it doesn't need to be that structured right yeah that sounds like my dad <laughs> he'd be just the perfect guy to go wine tasting with we've got to be here at 1:30 drink up it's like great Time but uh, on the on the list number 2 and number 3 uh, before those, uh, what I would put on the list, the first thing I would do is make sure that you have a ripping, big, nourishing breakfast before yeah, you go out and run around. Yeah, that's not on the list. <laughs> that should no, be on the list. It, it, that's, that's a really good point. <laughs> and then number two and number three are great. Right. And uh, I think number three is probably the most important one. <laughs> Depending on where you're going, 
if you're going to go to some special place, you have to make reservations, i.e. you have to let them know that you're coming so they can be prepared for you. Especially yeah. if you've got four or five or six people. I mean, you got to let them know you're coming and then they'll, they'll be ready and then things will go a lot better for you. And, and, and really great things happen. So we uh, moved here and about two years after we moved here, some of our relatives came to visit. They very much liked a particular winery here. So we called up and, you know, scheduled a tour and the tour was an hour before, um, you know, the winery opened. <laughs> so, you know, and not expecting, you know, not expecting much, right? Just sort of going to get the, you know, basically figure people are going to walk us around the tasting room, maybe show us the production area and, you know, uh, you know, we'll do the tasting. Well, it, you know, we get there and it's like they're doing their estate bottling that day. So they've got the bottle truck in there and we got to go inside the bottle truck and see that whole operation. The person that gave us the tour was the actual owner and winemaker. Awesome. who was driving a forklift around and stopped and got off the forklift and gave us the tour. And like, like we got to see like winery operations cause they were like working. And then we get in the tasting room and there's like a wine and cheese spread, um, out. So it was like, and it was free. Yeah. I mean, What's we wrong? bought, I mean, we bought wine. I mean, and I think the, the folks that we took had every intention of buying wine that day, but I mean, it was really special. Yeah, and, and just because we called up and said, to, I mean, to your point, they knew we were coming. They yeah. do this every day anyway, so they're just like, "Oh, great, people will be here today." So, yeah, that's the way to go. And another thing on that list, I mean, that's a really good point, Bill. Another thing on that list, number two, is to to limit your visits. I mean, you have to be realistic about the number of wineries that you could visit. And you know, I'm I'm slow. In general, you know, so, you know, I'm like trying to get all the info and I think three or four, you know, the list on here says his general rule is figure out the number of wineries you're going to go to and then subtract two from the list. And I don't know. I mean, with, when you count in the traffic, uh, you count in, um, I mean, what's a reasonable amount of time to stay at a winery? I'd say two hours is, is pretty reasonable. Yeah, I think you're, you know, the number somewhere between, you know, three to five, you know, is, you know, and I say five if they're, I mean, you can go to, um, you know, some cities here where they're, you know, they're tasting rooms sort of next door to each other. Yeah. And so, yeah, you can get, um, you know, more than, you know, more than a couple in. But, uh, yeah, if you're traveling, <clears throat> you know, three is going to be, four is going to be tough. Yeah, and it's it's great. Um, I mean, this this is really probably one of the better articles that I've seen because there's there's so many good points. Hire a driver, Uber, like you said. I mean, it just takes all the stress off of you. Yeah, if totally. you're going to go out, just like that's nothing to deal with. Yeah. Just, well, just take stress. that off the table. And frankly, that's going to cost you. You know, you're coming up here on vacation anywhere. You're coming to a wine region anyway. That's going to cost you another extra hundred bucks, maybe two hundred bucks at the most, and it's a heck of a lot cheaper than ten k for a DUI. Yeah, and it's the best. It's really the best money you ever spend. Yeah, and it's just, it's just, it's nice to be chauffeured around. <laughs> really is, really is. Um, and um it's, yeah. <laughs> I just and and then the you know the other thing about the number of winery visits. Frankly, your palate's going to be toast after three or four wineries. 
Yeah, depend, especially depending on the type of wines that you yeah. try. I mean, uh, that's part of it. Yeah. But uh, you know, up here the, the wines are usually you know they're they're pretty potent. So yeah. And you're gonna eat lunch, so that's you know an hour, probably maybe two. Um, and then you know the other thing is is you don't want to, you know. You want to enjoy. I think if you try to slam a bunch of wineries in, you're going to get done at the end of the day and not want to do anything else. You're just going to want to go to bed at five o'clock. Yeah. You know, and, it's, and it's, like, a, it's a small window. Most of these wineries don't open till eleven. Yeah, and they close at you know five. Right. So and, I mean, it's a it's a very small window. So I mean, you're, you're being overly optimistic if you think you can slam in five wineries, and you can't get and as as close as they might look. You can't get as fast to them as fast as you might think. Yeah, you you really can't. And one of the another, and I know I keep saying this, but another great point here is uh, number four. It says, if possible, go during the week. That's the best. Yeah, that is very ever. true. That is very true. I mean, so, weekends all you know. There's a bunch of there's just more people. So yeah. you know, and you know, kind of to your point, we went on a weekday to the tour that I described and. You know, that's one of the reasons we got the special treatment. I think it was a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Yep. And, you know, we were, you know, I think we were leaving and people started to roll up kind of thing. Um, so let's uh, close out with uh, talking about when, when I should open my wine. Oh, that's great post. Well, you should open it whenever you feel like drinking it, Bill. Well, th- this, is, <laughs> this is usually not a problem in my home. Um, but there are some things that I have been holding on to. Um, oh, do and, tell. Uh, and there are, um, um, you know, I think it's, it is it is a question in my mind. You hear a lot of conflicting information about, oh, this is a young wine and it's meant to be, you know, consumed right away. And then you'll talk to somebody else and they'll be like, oh, no, you should, like, it's definitely made to hold on to. Yeah. So well, this, artic- this article is by Karen O'Keefe, and uh, I've, she's she's pretty knowledgeable in the world of Italian wine. Right. So she's talking about Italian reds in general, and uh, it's in the, it was in the Wine Enthusiast. We'll link it up. Uh, and she's talking about uh, the old days of uh, you know people would have Barolos, Barbarescos, um, Brunello di Montalcino, and a lot of these wines were made in. Um, when they were made, and when I say the old days, I'm saying like the 70s or 80s. Right. <laughs> it's not that far ago. Yeah, well, that's, you know, it, if you're 30 now, that's old. Yeah. But the <laughs> winemaking uh, back then was different than the winemaking these days. So those wines tended to have, um, well, for lack of a better word, they were more tannic and they were more acidic and they needed more time in the bottle for some of that you know, to, to settle down, so to speak. And when the longer you hold on to a wine, um, well, there's a couple, it, it just, a couple things happen. The color changes. Um, typically the tannins soften. Um, the acidity becomes, uh, less pronounced and the fruit, that overt fruitiness that you get kind of goes away and you get these tertiary flavors that develop and, um, it makes the wine more complex as the wine snobs that we, that would say. It makes the wine more complex. So she's talking about how wine making has changed. Wines are more approachable now, uh, initially when they come out, but they also can age at the same, you know, on the other hand, they can also age well. 
So it's it's this old thing of what do I do now? Now that we have these new styles of wines that they're made from the same grapes and they're vinified in a different way, so they're more approachable upon release, but they also have this great potentiality for aging for a number of years. When's the best time to drink the wine? And it's really a personal preference thing. You know, I have, you know, for me, my, my point for, say, like for Chianti is I think the optimum time is, and it depends on the vintage, obviously, but the optimum time for me is like right around eight years. After eight years, wine's got a chance to develop some of the flavors that I like by being in the bottle. And it also still has that fruitiness that I like. So it's just a, it's a personal, uh, personal, personal preference. Yeah, it's a personal yeah. preference. And, you know, some people like, I mean, I could just, you could go off the wall here and say like uh, for champagne. Some people like their champagne fresh when it first comes out. Some people like their champagne that's 10, 15 years old when it's like, you know, it's like dying on the bones. So it just really depends on what you like. But um, it's a very interesting article. And the best way to figure out what you like is just to drink a bunch of different wines. Yeah, and this is true, right? So this is, I mean, definitely what I've learned since I've, you know, explored wine in more depth is, you know, it it all comes down to your, you know, it comes down to your personal preferences and your palate. Yep. And what you yep. and 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 you know, palate's a fancy word, a snob word. What do you like? What is it? To, what, what what you know? It comes down to what you like, what taste you like. Yeah. Um, and you can get more complex, um, but I mean, at the end of the day, does it taste good to you? Do that. Yeah, and it's 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 just really an interesting thing because I mean, she she talks about the uh, the recent uh, twenty ten vintage in Italy, which has been kind of a stunner uh, vintage for uh, Central Italy in general. And, uh, I mean, I've tried so many wines in that vintage, and they're all just so delicious and tasty now. <laughs> I know they'll get better, but I don't know if they're going to be around. Yeah. I mean, that, just, yeah. I keep drinking them up. But, uh, so, um, you know, what do you what do you think about Pinot Noir as far as what's your, what's your timeline on that for our local branded Pinot Noir here? You've got a nice Russian River valley pinot noir from say the 2012 vintage well so value and holding on to it um probably so pinot is hard to hold on to in my house oh oh, i forgot about that that's right (laughs) so it uh, it often doesn't it often doesn't make it very long after it comes home from the store but um you know i would you know 2012 I, i uh uh, you know, I don't. You know that that vintage. You know, there was a lot of it made, but not super complex. So um, I haven't had a twelve for a while, but I imagine it's probably you know prime for drinking right now. What are you drinking these days? You drinking thirteens? Thirteens. Thirteens, pretty much. How about yourself? I mean, they say it's a. They, you know, the first thing that I heard about Pinot is a young wine meant to be you know meant to be consumed you know within a couple of years after it being you know produced but you know you start to talk to winemakers they're like oh no no no, i made that wine to you know let it sit for a little bit um and i think if you find a wine that you like and you're like oh i could use a little more time in the bottle go buy some and put it down i mean it's that kind of path 
Yeah, it's, it, it just goes down to personal preference, really. I mean, the, the, the model Pinot Noir in France, Burgundy, you know, those are, you know, typically, you know, they're held, they're held for longer in people's cellars and their, their drank. Um, yeah, I, I guess people, people tend to hold on to them, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. And I, if you talk to a lot of winemakers around here, they're like, I am my, that wine is made to be consumed. Yeah. Yeah. It is made to be ready to go out of the bottle. And then, you know, they'll, they'll have a, a wine or two that they've made that is, uh, you know, a, a rider like Pinot, and that will be the one that they'll be like, "No, I made that wine to, you know, to hold on to." And they'll, you know, if you're a wine club member, or go to the winery. They'll tell you this stuff. Well, it's that age-old question: just because a wine can age doesn't mean it's going to get better. Yeah, that's very true. That's so, very true. And I, but, you know, and, and sorry to interrupt, but that it's it just you know another thing that you have to you know just explore with. Well, Bill, uh, shoot, we uh, we did it. We did it. We blew our time again, but you know, we got critical <laughs> info to get out here. As usual, we, I'm surprised that there hasn't been some blockbuster uh, winery deal. Yeah, <laughs> this, this week, week, this week, it's coming. It's you know, it, it, they they took a break because it was uh, it seems like it was trading season in the MLB. Yeah, well, it's trade season, and also, uh, oh, do you hear about uh, that contract that uh, Wilson uh, signed yesterday? Yeah, yes, yes. Oh my gosh, yes. it's uh, good. That's wow. There you it's go. It's like something like sixty million guaranteed. It's uh, good to be Mr. Wilson. Wow, man, life is good. That's not bad for a mediocre quarterback, huh? Ja, you know, hey, <laughs> it's all good. That's all good, man. That's a good day. Let's celebrate, honey. Yep, <laughs> right on. <laughs> all right, all bro. Right. Hey, thanks for um, thanks for um, meeting me this morning, and I'm glad we could get this done. We're trying to make this a habit. Yeah, and and so um, you know, hit us up on Twitter, leave us a review on your you know, on uh, iTunes. Uh, we just um, posted our podcast to the application Stitcher. So if you're a Stitcher user, you can find our podcast there. Um, they're all up there on Stitcher. Yeah, I just yeah. saw that. I got the note, and I'm going, man, look at Bill. Um, <laughs> we're trying to get our distribution to happen, Stitch, and uh, always can always uh, you know leave us a comment on the site at vino101.net. Our Twitter our Twitter handle is vino101.net. Thanks we'll everyone talk for to listening. You soon. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Bye bye.